into the third part of a four-part thing on spiritual gifts or family gifts, Lord God, and we need your uh, wisdom, of course, we need wisdom, but we're so thankful that you tell us in James that if any of us lack wisdom, we only have to ask, and you will give it. So we do, all of us lack wisdom, Lord God, and we come now and say, please, help us to understand, help us to have your wisdom, the Help us to know how to use the knowledge that we receive as we read your word and as we share one with another. Give us the way to correctly use the knowledge that we get because you call that wisdom, Lord, and we want your wisdom. So we thank you that you are a giving God, that you will give us all that we need to live for you, and you will fill us with joy in the doing of it. And I thank you, Lord, that that, that is true and that uh, we can be sure as we go on this afternoon that you are here and that you are speaking and that we will know you better by the time we leave. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Is it warm in here or have I just had two cups of tea? It's so warm. Is it possible to open a window or will everyone be cold? Are you warm? Thank you. <laughs> I just feel really warm. If can we? Um, yeah. Um, if it gets cold, just close the window. But it just feels so warm. It's two cups of tea, I know. Yeah. Okay, so 1 Corinthians. Back to 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing into a difficult situation in Corinth and... Um, they are obviously completely misunderstanding spiritual gifts and what they're for. So Paul uses three chapters to talk to them about spiritual gifts. And what he does is, in the center of his message about spiritual gifts, he, he gives the chapter that we always use at weddings, um, the chapter on love. And I think it's very interesting, isn't it, that the chapter on love, the big love chapter of the entire gospel, of the entire Bible, sorry, is wrapped in the three chapters of spiritual gifts. So there's something about love that is intrinsic to spiritual gifts. And there's something, if we don't understand the center focus of his talking about spiritual gifts, then we won't understand the whole of it. So um, we will get to chapter 13 in the last, um, in the last session. But um, what we want to do is to just go through some of the scriptures he gives us about the, uh, the gifts and what they are and why we have them and what we use them for um, because he tells us that we have a responsibility in the uh, working of the Spirit in our lives, um, either by the way we respond to him directly in our own relationship or in the way that we are used by him. One thing that uh, is clear in Scripture is that every single person must choose. Choose to believe and then choose whether or not they will obey. God does not suspend our will just because we have believed in Jesus. We had to come to him freely, freely believing, and we have to freely choose to go on with him and freely choose to obey what we know, which is why we have such a struggle with it, <laughs> because God does not just sweep in and take over. Personally, I'd love it if he did because that would remove the responsibility from me and the effort and all of the rest of it. But he doesn't. He wants this part of our salvation, our sanctification, he wants that to involve us. And in that area of our 
salvation. We have justification, sanctification, and glorification. In the sanctification area of salvation, which is our time on the planet, he will even suspend his own work through us if we put a stop to it. If we do not freely choose to go along with his work, he will not force us. He didn't force you to believe, and he won't force you to work. He won't force you to allow the Holy Spirit space in your life. He could do it in a jot. He could just take over, but he doesn't. Why not? Yeah, because he's given us free will, and... That's not relationship. He wants relationship and growth in faith. yeah, he wants growth in the faith. Yeah, and it's a measure of his love. it's a, yeah, free will is a measure of his love. All those things are true, and they're not wrong. And I'm not waiting for one answer. I'm just getting more. Yes, that's how the Trinity operate within themselves in relationship. Yeah, and God never changes. He is an unchanging God, so he won't change the way he works. He he could because he can do anything at any time, but he won't. He's chosen, he has decided that the formation of your soul is going to be a combined effort of him and you. And that combined effort is hard work for us often because the way that our character is changed into the character of Christ or the way he forms character in us is often hard because it involves us leaving behind some things and taking up others. It involves choice and it invo involves consecration. We have to willingly consecrate ourselves. We have to willingly choose to be a Christian, not just come into the family, but then stay in the family. We have to willingly choose to do that. All over the New Testament it says we can grieve the spirit, we can quench the spirit, if God, if we can grieve the spirit, that must be that it's possible, you know, as Christians, we, we are able, because of our behavior, because of our thinking, because of our lack of feeling or whatever, we can make God weep. I don't know about you, but that makes me sad. And we can quench the spirit. That is, we can stop his work in us. Most of the time, the thing about spiritual gifts that is, is, I think, mostly understood is that because a, a gift is an enablement of the Holy Spirit, we think that God will just give us those gifts and, and work in us and through us without any um, input from us. And I'm not saying he couldn't do that. Of course he can. And he does sometimes, for the sake of something else going on, which we're not aware of, he does sometimes do that. But if you want to be used by God, if you want him to use you, if you want your life to be a, a, just a, a, an overflowing river of the work of the Holy Spirit, then you have to consciously and willingly decide that you will consecrate yourself to God. You will separate yourself. You will make yourself available to God. Can he do a gift of healing to someone who's not through someone who's not consecrated? Of course he can. He can do what he wants when he wants, and he sometimes does. But if you want a lifetime of moving in the spirit, as we call it, of being used by God, 
of having the Holy Spirit manifest himself through you, then you have to decide, at some point you have to decide, that's what I want. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to separate myself from everything else so that I can be used by God. Um, God has told us what he wants from us. What's the two things God wants from us? Sort of. What's the two things? He wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, strength and mind and love other people. Jesus will say to them in John's Gospel, John 13, I think 34, he'll say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. That's not a new commandment. They had that commandment in the Old Testament, in Exodus. So what's the newness of that commandment? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. It's easy to love people who look like you and walk like you and talk like you and dress like you and live like you. That's easy. But to love people like Jesus loves, that's, that's a difficult thing. And that's what we're called to, to love God with everything in us and to love other people the way Christ loved us. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another in this way. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his son, uh, his friends. So, um, God wants us to love him with heart, soul, strength and mind. He wants us to love other people. And when we love God with heart, soul, strength and mind, we find that we do what he calls us to do in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. I'm sure someone here could quote that, but we'll go to it just so we none of us get above ourselves. Micah 6, 6 to 8. What does the Lord require of you? Thank you, Sue. What does the Lord require of you? With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the high, before God on high? Shall I come with to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This God, this God that is presenting himself to us, who walked on the stage in, in Genesis chapter 1 and said, in the beginning, here I was, this God, all he requires of us is that we walk humbly with him, that he is God and we are not, and that we recognize that and consecrate and separate ourselves to him. And as we start to think about how we might understand what that looks like, and as we, you might think we've already started to think for two sessions this morning, but we're still only starting to think about what it looks like, what this looks like, is that we have to understand that to correctly represent him means he must be God and I must be not and that requires a surrender and a consecration. So when you came to the Lord in the beginning, if you could split salvation into three things, I'd just done it, but if you could split salvation into three parts, which you can't because it's all part of the same one thing, but if you could, what would the three parts be? Justification, Justification which means what? Jesus Sorry. Died Jesus died for us. Just as if I've never sinned. Yeah, just as if I've never sinned. Not exactly, though. So what did you say, Toby? Uh, I've forgotten that. <laughs> to be made righteous. Yes, you have been made or called righteous. You are called 
righteous. You have been credited with righteousness that was not your own. So you have been given righteousness and your sin has been taken away. So yes, just as if I never sinned, but that's, yeah. So God has given you the righteousness of Christ and given Christ your sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So justification is the legal requirement, the acquittal, if you like, because the price has been paid. So we are now justified, freely justified. Who did that? God did it. God did it through Jesus. God did it all. What part in that did you play? You just received it. You received it. You heard the gospel message and you received it. So what's the second part of your sanctification? Oh, of your salvation. <laughs> sanctification. Sanctification. What's all that about? What's sanctification? Being set apart for holiness, right? So being set apart, being separated for holiness. Well, what does that actually mean? Because I'm saved totally and utterly. When I believed in the Lord Jesus, I was totally and utterly saved. So what's all this about setting me apart for holiness and all of that? Being transformed, yes, enabling me to live like that. But, but we've got to try and put this together so that we, I think it's really important that we kind of understand it. When you believed in Jesus, what did God do? He justified you, but what else did he do? He gave you his spirit. He gave you his spirit. He, he gave you his spirit in the place where your dead spirit was because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were a dead person. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were under the uh, rule of Satan. You were actually a dead person walking, spiritually dead. And so when you believed in Jesus, you were born again by the living and enduring word of God and you received the Holy Spirit and he took up residence within you. So what part of you is being sanctified because the Spirit is the Holy Spirit? Your soul is being sanctified. Your soul. So what is that sanctification doing? It's changing your soul. It's changing your, who you are in your actual being and living and choosing and doing. He's changing that part of you, the conscious part of you, the part of you that knows what you're doing and what you're not doing, what you're saying and what you're not saying. Your spirit is alive forevermore now because it's his spirit within you. You have been made alive and you will never, ever die. But the character of you, the soul of you is being changed and God has decided that your soul transformation involves you. How much do you want to be changed? How much do you want your character formed into the character of Christ? And the, and the extent that you want to be changed will depend on how you think about him. Well, that's nice, but where's that in scripture? <laughs> Nowhere, Mike. Exactly, exactly. We'll read that later. <laughs> um, so he's in the process of changing your soul. What's going to happen to your body? We're three in one beings, remember. We're body, soul, and spirit. So my spirit is eternally alive. My soul is being transformed into the image of Christ. 
What's my body doing? Dying. My body is dying and decaying. It's decaying. So all of the stuff of my body, all of the health of my body and the ease of my body and the pleasing my body and all of that is something that I'm doing to a dead person. And I'm doing it to a dead person who's never going to live. Do you see what I mean? This body is gone. It's gone. It's done. It's finished. It's had its day. The older you get, the more you see that. <laughs> it's gone. And it's dying. So all of the time that we spend thinking about it, thinking about pleasing our body, feeding our body, caring for our body, keeping our body fit, all of the time we think about that in terms of us, for us, is complete wasted time. Because this body is corrupting. It's being corrupted. It's being perverted. It's being polluted. And you can't stop it. You can't stop it. Now, will God heal your body? Will he help you to give up harmful practices towards your body? Of course. Why? Because he loves the whole you and... Because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And someone who cuts themselves all the time or drinks themselves into oblivion or takes drugs, pumps heroin into their veins, they are not giving an image of Christ that is one that other people want. So of course God is likely to come in and sweep that away. But let me ask you a question. If you just want to drink wine, I always go back to that because that was my thing. If you want to just drink wine because you like drinking wine, and I know I'm a Christian, but I'm just not going to stop God because I really like it and I don't think it's too bad. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you better stop, you know, because it's not good. You're talking about Jesus in the pub and you can hardly string a sentence together. You know, how much of that, how much of is God going to sweep in and get rid of that when you're saying, no, I don't want to be rid of that. I like drinking. Do you see what I mean? So what I'm trying to get at here is, unless you say, I want your will, come what may, no matter how hard it is, I want your will, God will not force you. He didn't take my drinking for 10 years. He could have taken it in the very first day that I knew I had to stop. Why didn't he take it then? Why did he leave me battling for 10 years? Because I had to choose. I had to choose. And I can tell you the moment, 2009, I can't tell you the exact day, but it was April 2009, and I know that God said to me, we can't go on any further if you don't stop. Not that I wasn't born again, I was. Not that I wasn't going to be with him in heaven, I was. Not that he didn't love me, he did. But we can't go any further, and in this relationship. You won't know me any better. We can't walk any further together if you don't stop. And so, do you see what I'm trying to say? It was my choice. I had to choose. What's your thing? Have you got a thing? What is it that you won't give up or stop? Because for some reason, you like it and you don't want it to go. Who's the person that you haven't forgiven? Where's the place that you were rejected, treated badly, 
Who is it that keeps offending you? And you just can't be done with that because they just, if you knew them like I know them, you wouldn't ask me to forgive them. What area of your life will you not lay aside because you want to walk on with God? That's what we're talking about. It's not your spirit. You're born again. If you're born again, you're born again. You can't die spiritually. You will go to be with the Lord. But you will spend a long time on this planet unhappy, with no joy, because you know that you are not living the way God wants you to live. And I know 10 years of living not the way God wants me to live is not a happy place to be. Where is it in your soul that you have said no to God? So, there are, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and his specific ministries, and we're going to start off by what he does, uh, the, all the ministries he does, the five things he does in one moment when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus. What does he do what does the Holy Spirit do when you put your trust in Jesus? You are regenerated, born again. He comes to live within you. He enters your life. If you want scriptures for this, John 3, verses 1 to 10. What's the second thing that he does? He does them all in the same moment, but what is another ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, you're born again, and then he indwells. That's John 14, verse 16, and verse 23. What's the third thing that happens in the same moment when you put your trust in Jesus? So you're born again, the Spirit indwells you. What's the third thing? You know it. You'll know it. Baptism. You were baptized into his body. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. You were baptized. Yeah, uh, Paul will explain it as you were um, buried with Christ in baptism and you were raised to walk in newness of life. Fourth thing, simultaneous happening. What's the fourth thing that happens? So you're born again, you're indwelt by the Spirit, you're baptised into the body of Christ. Fourth thing, sealing. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and us, having also believed, are sealed in him who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, a guarantee of our inheritance. And the fifth thing happens simultaneously. All these things happen at once, the moment you believe. Yes, you belong to a new family. That's not the fifth thing. You're anointed by the Holy Spirit. And First John chapter 2, verse 27, and we all have an anointing from the Holy One. You are anointed into the body of Christ. You are anointed uh, by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 27. So, that's what the Holy Spirit does in regeneration, in justification, in being born again. Now, how does he go about sanctification? What is the only thing that the Bible talks about, about sanctification? The work of the Spirit. What does he do? He does those five things when you believe, done in an instant. And then the sanctification side of it is just one thing. There's one 
one command, one thing. Be filled. Be filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled by the Holy Spirit. The instruction, the only instruction in Scripture regarding the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're not commanded to be born again. You're not commanded to be sealed. You're not commanded to be baptized by the Spirit I'm talking about. You're not commanded about any other thing. You are only commanded to be filled. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Sort of, yes. In that scripture, Ephesians 5, can we go to, uh, it's 18, sorry, not 8. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Well, we'll start in verse 17. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That's an instruction. It's a command. So given that he's talked about it in the same sentence as don't be drunk on wine... What do you think being filled with the Spirit is? Influenced by, under the control of. Be under the control of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Be under the control of the Spirit. So when you were filled with wine and do not get drunk on wine, what happens when you're drunk on wine? No, just what happens physically in your body. What happens when you, you lose control? How do you walk? Not in a straight line, unsteadily. How do you talk? Confusedly, with a slur. If you are drunk on wine, everybody knows it. Okay? Even you. Right. <laughs> if you are controlled by the Spirit, if you are filled with the Spirit, not with wine, what will you walk like? Straight line. What will your speech be like? Clear. And everybody will know it. It's a simple, straightforward comparison. Don't get drunk on wine. That's how you look when you're drunk on wine. That's how you behave. You, be filled with the Spirit. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if, if um, Spirit filling is commanded, if it's an instruction, what do you know about it? I mean, you know lots of things, but what's the basic thing you know about it? You must do it. You have to do this. You have to do it. So, spirit filling is commanded. We have to do it. We have to be filled by the Spirit. We can't make the Spirit fill us, but we have to do whatever is necessary to be filled with the Spirit. What else about the um, spirit filling? If you were to read through Scripture, well, if you just took Ephesians 5.18... The verb tense, the tense of those words is, be continuously filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. So I think you can safely say that Spirit filling is repeated. It's not just a one-time thing. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be con con you know, constantly being under the control of the Spirit. Look at the apostles in Acts. How many times do you see the, in Acts the apostles being filled with the Spirit? <coughs> Lots. First time in Acts chapter 2, when uh, the day of Pentecost, and then after that, 
Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, having just been filled with the Spirit, and then on and on, Stephen, being filled with the Spirit, having just been filled with the Spirit, over and over and over and over again, they were filled with the Spirit. So, how, if you sort of were thinking about what is Spirit filling, I'm commanded to do it, I have to do it, it's going to happen repeatedly and continuously, think about filling up with anything. Just think about the concept of filling this glass. That's you. It's, it's, it's not, because... But anyway, you're, you're going to be filled with the Spirit, right? What does the glass have to be? Empty. empty. So if the glass isn't fully empty, how much water can I get in it? Not, not a full glass. So if I've got other stuff in my life that I haven't set apart to the Lord, and I am trying to be filled with the Spirit, what will he do? No, he won't do it. No, he won't do it. This is what you've got to do. So he's going to say, have you looked at that glass, Kim? Can you see all those bits in there? Well, I can get in and around that, but I can't fill you up while you've got those bits in. So do you think he'll tell you all the bits at once? No, why not? Because he is so much more gracious than us. So he'll show you an area of your life that's not under his control. And then he'll say... Here it is. Here it is. Will you give this up for me? Or take this on, whatever it is. Will you, will you put this area under my control? And what's your answer going to be? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Please help me to do it. But that's a given. He will, because he's shown it to you. You're able to do it. He's willing to help. So now the only question is, will you do it? In those cases in Acts, I am absolutely convinced that the apostles who were filled time and time and time again were giving over more and more and more of themselves to the Lord and they had to, they had to do different things and be filled in different ways. Can you see how this is a lifetime <laughs> It's a lifetime, and it's a cleansing work. You know, you take this glass, and it's full of stuff, and it will slowly, slowly, you'll give over areas of this, of your life to God, and as you give over more and more of your life to God, what's going to happen? He's, and, and then what will happen? He'll overflow, and also... He will be able to take charge of that area of your life. And he will be able to use it, what for? His glory and our benefit. Our benefit. So if you don't want the Lord to take out something that's in your glass, I might want to help you with that. Why? Because I care about you and... Yes, and, 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 and ultimately it will benefit me. <laughs> because the more you give over to the Lord, the more you help me to stand strong and be strong and be established. The more you let God control your life, the more he's able to work through you towards the rest of the body of Christ. The stronger we all are when you give over an area of your life to him. Do you think God knows how hard it is? 
He does. He does. Spirit filling, this being filled with the spirit, we have so spiritualized the spirit that we've stopped thinking about it in any practical form at all. We have so talked about the, the work of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and moving in the Spirit and knowing our gifts and all of that that we have completely made this an act of magic on God's part. Instead of understanding that God always wants our cooperation in this area, sanctification. He wants us to go along with his work. And the more you surrender to him, the more he will work through you. You want to be used by God in a mighty, powerful way? Give up drinking. You want to be used by God in a mighty, powerful way? Stop thinking about yourself. Do you want to be used by God to benefit the body of Christ, to bless other people? Do you want to be used in a way to really build the body of Christ and to make a stand in this day, in this place? Then take yourself off the throne of your life and give it over to God. Give it to God. And he will use you. He will use you. The filling of the Spirit, in, as I say in the Greek, is in the passive voice. Somebody else does the filling, but we have to make room. So, you have to dedicate your life, consecrate your life. That's the first step. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the first step. You have to come to God and say, I believe all this about you, Lord, and I want to be used by you. And then you have to not be conformed to this world. Now, okay, that's a really nice spiritual statement. But what that means is you can't watch Mark on the TV. You just can't watch it. You can't watch shows on the TV that, that, that um, what do you call it, uh, something um, violence, what do you call it? Gratuitous, um, yeah. But you, you can't that, uh, make it entertaining. You can't watch entertaining violence. You can't watch things where every other person's jumping into bed with the other one. You can't watch that on the TV. You can't go onto your computer and read nonsense and read stuff on there that you know nobody, you wouldn't like to show anyone else. You can't watch it, you can't read it, you can't listen to it. You can't listen to music that is, is against God. You can't do it. You can't hang around with friends all the time who do not know God. You have to have fellowship with other believers. You have to choose to hang around Christians, no matter how weird they are. You have to hang around Christians, real Christians, and you have to decide. Yeah, I know, it's hard, isn't it? You have to decide to do that. It's a conscious choice. Now, you may have lots of people in your family who are non-believers. Obviously, you're not walking out of the door and leaving them all, so, bye, bye, I can't hang around with you. Of course not. My husband's a non-believer. I live with my husband. I love my husband. He's much less weird than some of you. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I am. He is weird. <laughs> but what, you know what I'm saying. You have to make conscious choices in your life. You cannot just drift along and go with the flow. A Christian who goes with the flow ends up 
miles and miles and miles from where they want to be. You can't go with the flow. You have to decide, I'm sticking to this anchor. I'm staying right here. I'm consecrating my life, setting myself apart. I am not doing the things I know not to do. You have to stop making excuses for yourself. And you have to, you have to choose to be filled with the Spirit. You have to de be dependent on him. Dependent on God. You have to understand that without him you can do nothing. You have to understand, like we all have to understand that we have pea brains. That actually we're not super intelligent. We're not. That actually without God we're sheep that will just jump off a cliff. We'll eat ourselves off the side of a cliff. If we fall down, you want to read about sheep sometime. If you read about sheep and then you see how many times God calls us sheep, you will have no pride left in your life. Sheep can't care for themselves. If they fall over, they lay on their back, they can't get up. Honestly, they'll drink poison because it's there. That's what Christians are doing all the time. We're drinking poison because it's there and because we're just going along. So we have to consecrate ourselves, separate ourselves. We have to live an undefeated life. We have to decide that we will not allow sin to defeat us. I don't know what your sin is, but you do. You know exactly what you're struggling with. And you're only struggling with it because you don't want to give it up. It's not a struggle once it's gone. You have to decide to obey what you know about God. That's part of the consecration. You have to be obedient to the will of God. That means when you read something, you have to do it. When you read something in here, I mean. <laughs> Not in the newspaper. You have to do it. What will be the result of all of it? Sanctification, which means you will be? And you will be more like Christ. You will be more like Christ. Imagine, how many people are in the room? Did you count? No, I haven't counted either. Let's say 40. 45. <coughs> Let's say 45 people today decide... I am going to consecrate my life, dedicate my life. God, I don't even know some of the stuff I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. I don't even know some of the things you want me to do that I don't yet know. But I trust that you will show me. And every time I reach a place where you say, this needs to go or start or whatever it is, that's what I'm going to do. Now then imagine coming back here in six months' time. Imagine the stories we've got to tell each other the testimony and the witness of it. And then take it out into your family or into your workplace. What, really? That's the girl. She used to do this. She was always swearing. She was always this. You know, she was always joking, always gossiping. But she doesn't do that now. Imagine the impact. The impact inside the fellowship and outside the fellowship. 
if you consecrate your life to God today. What will happen when you do all that? Impact, you'll become more like Christ. You are a new creation, but you will be a new creation in your actual being. That verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so we're a new creation, that we might become the righteousness of, Christ, of God in him. So there's this becoming that we're doing because God has already done something. So we will become righteous. We'll become more like Christ. What else? What's another result? What will you find yourself doing when you succeed in consecrating or surrendering an area of your life to him? What will happen? Yes, that's very good, Barbara, you will. But what will you do inside, in your own home, when you finally let it go and you've said, right, I'm just saying let it go because that's my experience, so just you finally let it go. I used to have a big problem with lying. I mean, I used to have lots of big problems. But lying wasn't... It, I didn't lie for benefit or gain, but I lied to sort of not, not have any problems. <coughs> it's just smoothed the way. No such thing as a white lie. So I used to, I had a problem with it, and I used to automatically do it. Instinctively, I would lie, because I just thought it would make, make it just easier. Right? So when God showed me that, I had to stop it. I had to stop it. And that was hard, because it was an instinct, because I had done it for so long that it was just coming out of my mouth, instinct. So I had to really be really aware, really pray about it. Lord God, help me, show me what this is, what's happening. And he did. Why am I saying this? Oh, yeah. So, what happens when that area of your life is handed over to him? What did that bring about in me? Freedom. It brought freedom. And what else? Peace. Joy. It brought a song of praise to me. I wanted to praise God and worship God because this thing that I'd been doing, obviously, since a little child was gone. And it was gone as soon as I said, I want it gone. He helped me to have it gone. And now it's a bit of a problem because I can't lie at all. So don't ask me how you look. <laughs> no, I'm actually only kidding about that. I am only kidding about that. But, but you see what I mean? What's happened is that I've given an area of my life over to him. And I've said, fill me with your spirit. Please, I don't want to be like this. If you don't want me to be like this, I don't want to be like this. Now, these are small things. You know, it's a small thing. Well, at least it's not a noticeable thing out there in the, in the, in the world. But that change in me made me stronger. It made me freer. It made me want to praise God at, that he would do it. And all of that has impact outside and inside the body of Christ. So you live an undefeated life. You become more like Christ. You worship, you praise, you have joy. What else? When you're giving yourself over to God, when you're giving him areas of your life and you're saying, your will, not mine, be done, what's, what's, what's happening actually? What are you becoming more of? You're becoming more submissive to him and therefore to each other. It matters less to me that you understand that I'm always right about everything and more to me that you actually grow in your life with the Lord. Oh, that's an example. It matters less to me 
that I have any position or place in any sort of so-called family or fellowship, but rather that I am being used by God for the building up of that body. It matters more to me that you have your way, even if your way I know is not the best way, so that I can say, that's okay, let's, let's try that. Because I know you will benefit from that. Being submissive to God and then to one another becomes something I want rather than something I have to do. What's another result? Well, Nearly there, can have tea in a minute. What's another result? Yeah. Serving each other, we can help each other. Exactly, Trilane. We can serve each other and help each other from the experience that I've had. I can share with you, you can share with me, we can together. And in that way, we're serving each other. I'm helping Trelane, she's helping me, we're serving the body of Christ. Exactly. Yeah, honest and real. And that's what's happening too. You're becoming honest and real with each other. And it's not fake. And what's another result? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Mm. Less stressful, absolutely. Less stress. that's a big one actually, should have been up there in the top few. Yes, less stressful, because we're being real with each other. And now I don't have to remember what I told you, and did I tell that to Trelane? And you know, it's like I can be totally real and honest. And, and, and how can I be totally real and honest with you? Why am I not bothered that you know I have all these things, although I've only mentioned two? <laughs> how, how can I really not be bothered? Because I really am not bothered. Why is that? Because I know God and I know Jesus loves me. And I'm not ever, ever, ever going to find my worth in you. Ever. I find my worth. It makes me cry to think about it. But I found my place in God. And it does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on your impression of me or what you think or what you don't think. It's all about him. What's another result? Can it be negative? No. What, to give yourself to God? Can it be negative? Well, what are you going to say? Oh, go ahead. What? I was going to say, like, Oh, thank you, actually. Thank you. Maureen and you both had the same thing. Yeah. Okay, so in the midst of all these good things that are happening because you're giving yourself over to the Lord, what is the thing that your enemy doesn't want you to do? Give yourself over to God and consecrate and be closer to God. He does not want you to do that. So what will he start to do? Obstacles and temptation. Working in your mind, he'll attack your mind. People in your path. He will do anything and everything to stop you getting closer to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying this to frighten you because our God is greater. And we are protected through faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says that God, we are protected by the power of God through faith. So as we trust God and as we turn back to God always, he will protect us. But you can expect difficulty from the enemy if you try to hand your life over to God. Because you're not just doing it. You see, he doesn't mind very much if you come to a conference or you go to a concert or you go to church one day and someone up the front says, I want you to come forward and pray and give your life to the Lord. Consecrate yourself. 
And so we all do. The music's been great, and I've been raising my arms, and I'm stirred in my heart, and I want to go forward, and I'm going to go forward, and I go forward, and I give my life to the Lord. And that's wonderful. And then I go home, and then it's done. I'm home. And I forget that every day, in every way, I've got to constantly and continuously remember that I have given my life to the Lord. And I've got to make things. I've got to make choices. I've got to do things. The enemy won't bother if all you do is walk up to the front and pray a prayer. He probably won't bother very much. But if you start consecrating your life day by day by day by day, he will want to know how to stop you. And he will try to stop you. Maureen, share a little bit about what you told me earlier. Well, I just would have had this 70th birthday party. Stand up. Yeah. Um, I had a 70th birthday party in the church, and it was quite um, a lot of non-Christians. People came to the Lord, so it was a really blessed time. Uh, my son had run up, one of my sons had run up at the last minute, he couldn't come, he was waiting for this concrete delivery. And uh, I said, well, I'm really disappointed. And then, so on the Monday, when I was on my own, my sister had gone home, the enemy said, well, well why are you bothering me? What does he possibly do to you? And, and really, my, my heart was so pained by this thought, well, you know, he's not really caring about me at all, and he didn't bother with a card or anything, any recognition. And then in instant, I, I recognised, well, this is the enemy. You know, of course he wants to bring me down because, you know, wonderful things happened. And so I, as soon as I turned to him, I had immediate peace in my heart. But it's recognising that that is the work of the enemy um, because he was trying to disquiet us and, uh, you know, work in our minds to justify, which we would do in our normal humanness. But we're not in our normal humanness any longer. We know we have the grace of God working mightily in our lives and acknowledging that. And so, um, as I say, it's remembering that we will be trying to do these things and as soon as possible, you know, to, to say and turn to the Lord and He will then help us and, you know, and calm us and give us the peace that passes all understanding again. Thank you, Maureen. She didn't know I was going to put her on the spot. But yeah. 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 So not to get too worried about it, because, but just to know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, and, and to be aware of it. But you see, what will also happen is, you will very quickly, the more you give over to the Lord, the more he has of you, the more he will quickly show to you what is the enemy and what isn't the more quickly you will discern something is wrong in a person. There's nobody in this room that this applies to, just before I tell you. So. <laughs> but there is someone I know, and I can see, when I talk to her about certain subjects, there's something in her eyes. There's just something that's not right. Now, I'm not saying anything more than that. Maybe it's simply that she has issues in her life that are unresolved, or maybe it's demonic. I don't know but there's something. And so I am extremely careful when I am with this person to make sure I'm not with that, this person alone in a situation where I would be praying for her on my own. Now, that is not, that's not me. That's God. That's God giving me some kind of warning. Why would you not be praying for her on your own? Because, um, 
because there's something at work there that um, <coughs> I would want to have back up about. And because Jesus never sent the disciples out singly. They always went out in pairs. So I don't want to make more of that than I need to. This, you know, but all I'm saying is there is an enemy and he is at work and he doesn't want you to give over control of your life to the Lord. And the more you do it, the more he'll attack. And so the more he does it and the more he attacks, that gives you a wonderful opportunity to do what? Give over another part of your life. Give over the fear and the anxiety and the worry. And just say, I know my enemy exists. I know he exists because you tell me he does. You told me my struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the rulers in the, in the heavenly places. I know that I have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he wants to do me down, and he wants to drag me through the mud and make me feel as bad about myself as I can possibly feel. And he wants to tell me that I am a defeated, useless, worthless Christian. He wants to steal my joy, and he wants to steal your joy. But I have a mighty God. Yes, I am a useless, worthless Christian, but I'm not defeated in Christ. I am not. And he is stronger and more powerful than anything in this world. So, thank you, um, Laura, for reminding me. What's another result? So actually, at the end of that, we can say, I'll tell you the another result. You have spiritual strength. Do you want to be known as a strong, spiritual person? Give yourself over to the Lord. Just keep giving those areas of your life to God and he will fill you with himself and that means you will be strong. You will be strong in the Lord. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God. That's what he'll say in Ephesians 6. Living a spirit-filled life always results in strength for the believer. Always you will be empowered by the Spirit if you are filled by the Spirit. And then what will happen? Almost there. What will happen then? You'll have abundant life. You'll have more of the abundant life. And you will want to talk about it to everybody you meet. Not because you, you'll make up your mind, I'm going to go out and talk about Jesus. Come what may, Lord, I've got to talk about you and I just don't know how to do it. You're just going to find yourself talking about the God who has become more and more and more to you. And then what will happen? There is an end, but we're just not there yet. Other people will want to know him. And just imagine, you've come in here, right, and you've had... Let's say Maureen, right? So she walked in the door. She just had this experience with the enemy and she walked in and she knew everybody in the room. So she'd have come in and she'd have walked in the door and because she's Maureen, she would have done it quietly. But if she'd been somebody else, she would have walked in and said, Hallelujah, praise God. He has just told me this. The enemy came against me and he told me, but he got me out and God, praise God, you know. And we would all stand and say, hallelujah, praise God. And we would hug each other and love each other and be so filled with joy. So her experience, bad as it was, sad as it was, but short because she turned to the Lord, results in joy for us. Joy and a witnessing to the reality of who God is. And we have fellowship Real fellowship. Not having coffee and a piece of cake, 
We have real, heartfelt fellowship one with the other because we've been real, as Trelone says. We haven't been afraid to share with other people. We've been real with the Holy Spirit, with God. We've told him he, we want him to take over. And, and, you know, it's a process. Don't get me wrong. It's a process, and I'm still in it. There's still areas in my life, and I'm sure there's areas in yours, and I fully expect there to be areas until the day I die and go to be with him. But, oh, God, I'm thankful that there aren't as many now as there were 20 years ago. I am so grateful that I can stand free. Honestly, so grateful. Um, and so what happens in all of that and all of those results and all of that victory and all of that wonder, that is progressive sanctification. That is you being made more like Christ. And as that has happened, the Holy Spirit has worked through you. And as I said right at the beginning, you've come in and you've looked at someone in the eye and you've known they need a hug, they need compassion, they need love. You've talked to someone else and you know, do you know what, you're struggling to pay your mortgage, that's okay. I mean, we're a great fellowship. We'll, you know, we, can do, we can help you with that. Your children are sick and you're really worried about them, let's get together, we'll praise the Lord, we'll pray, we'll talk, we'll care for one another. What else can you think of? I'm trying to think of things. You know, Sue, she's got a pain in her back, or I can't walk too far forward because I keep messing up that. She's got a pain in her back, or, or she's just had a terrible diagnosis, or something's just happened. I won't look at you, Sue, because I know that's not you, but something. So, and, and so we'll, we'll get together, and she'll walk in, and we care for her, and we love her, and we're going to say, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to remove that. We're going to ask and we're going to pray. And, and every day, even after you go home, I'm going to bring you up to the throne of grace. I'm going to mention you. I'm going to write you in my journal and write you on my mirror. And every day I'm going to pray for you until God works in your life. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do for each other in fellowship. That's what fellowship is. That's what the family is. Every time you commit a new area of your life to the Lord, he'll fill you up. I'm not saying, as I said earlier, I think, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit cannot work through you. God can do anything at any time, and he does. He does. He can work through you. He can, in what we call spiritual gifts, he can do that through you at any time. But God is an unchanging God. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And he wants us to be a part of his work. And our role in that is to just keep submitting and surrendering to him. We do have one more session, but you've got cake in between. So you can stand it, I hope. And um, so, yeah. So, th Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, thank you that you are at work in us. And I pray, Father, that you would give us energy and strength just for this final short session, Lord, that we might... Um, Fellowship one with the other for 15 minutes and then come back ready for this last session. I thank you, Father. I thank you. I thank you that you're our Heavenly Father. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.